Welcome to an explosive edition of Canton Bound, the NFL half of our Campus to Canton podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Colin. And I'm Austin. And tonight we wanted to start just by thanking all of you guys for your support lately, um, you know, on the podcast and on the website. Obviously, we really love what we do. We love making this content, and it really means a lot to us that you guys seem to enjoy it as well. Um, so for anybody listening who hasn't checked out the site yet, definitely go over to campustocanton.com. Check out all of our written work, uh, the Campus to Canton family of podcasts that includes Debbie Debate and Why Wait Till Sunday, all of our rankings, um, Jarek Backus's player metrics and his data visualization app, and just so much more stuff. Uh, and then to all the new listeners out there, welcome uh, with the Canton Bound half of the show here. Uh, we talk a little bit about the uh, NFL news and the players. We try to tie that to the side of the, you know, the that side of things of your campus, the Canton League. Uh, we try to talk a little bit more about some of the traditional dynasty-like topics as well. Uh, I just wanted to throw that in there because we have noticed a pretty nice uptick in downloads lately. Uh, which again, thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, if you listen to the show, definitely download it. Definitely helps us out. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that as well and just kind of re-welcome anybody who's newer to the show and hasn't been following from the beginning. Yeah, we um we said that when we gave away that J.K. Dobbins jersey a couple of weeks ago, we said, you know, we were around 150 downloads an episode. And we said once, you know, we hit 200, then we would think about doing another jersey giveaway for you guys. And, you know, we, you know, we inch up, you know, five or seven downloads an episode, you know, that's, that's pretty typical growth. Uh, and then we released the website and we got past 200 and then we got past <laughs> 300 and then we got past 400 and then we got past 500. <laughs> so, um, we have another Jersey giveaway in mind. Uh, I, I am working on it right now, so I, I'm not going to, you know, say the names that I'm looking at or anything, but they're, they're all college jerseys that I'm looking at signed. Um, so just something and to, you know, obviously to enter those, you rate and review the show, um, and then just let one of us know that you've done so, so that we can get you entered and, um, and get you, you know, a freshly minted, signed, authentic, uh, Jersey, you know, for free, you know, everybody likes free stuff. Everybody likes signed stuff, free signed stuff. It's the sweet spot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, like, we were we were definitely still planning on doing that giveaway, and in the last three episodes that we released like just shot up way past where we thought they were going to be, which is awesome. Uh, but we so we will have the uh, we'll have the jersey giveaway coming here soon. Uh, but we'll get into the the meat of the show here. Uh, we always start off with a little bit of news. Uh, the first one is piggybacking off a little bit of a topic from last week, and that is Big Ben restructured his deal here. Uh, opening up a little bit of extra cap room there for the Steelers to kind of kind of play with a little bit here in free agency. Uh, we already touched on the impact on this last week a little bit, but we'll just circle back around here quick. Austin, are you hearing anything now that he's restructured? Has this affected Juju at all? Have you heard anything Pittsburgh news media wise? <laughs> I haven't heard anything yet. Um, I know it freed up quite a bit of money, but the Steelers were also quite a bit over the salary cap. You know, we weren't we aren't the Saints that you know have to cut their entire roster, but we're not in great shape either. Um, so I really I, I haven't heard anything locally, and I still don't know exactly what it means for Juju. But I do think it means that um, Pittsburgh is going to try to make like a move this offseason. You know, we never sign high profile guys. I say we. I'm sorry. I'm this. That's about as homer as you'll hear me get about the Steelers. So you know, calling them we. Um, 
like we never make a splashy move in free agency, but I have to feel like they are trying to give themselves options and moving into the offseason. And maybe, you know, I'm sure Juju is one of those options. I'm sure they have, you know, a whole list of them. So I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, I think it's good for Deontay Johnson owners for next year. Again, you know, obviously uh, it seems like those guys have pretty good chemistry. And if Juju leaves, you know, I mean, that's a lot of targets uh, to be spread out and not a lot of other places, you know, naturally on the roster right now that you'd think they go to. Yeah. I mean, they have Claypool. Obviously it sounded like he's he'll slide into the number two role there. Um, James Washington's a fine number three wide receiver, but I mean, he's not anybody that you're super interested fantasy wise, um, tight end Ebron, but you know, I mean, he's, he's an okay streamer. So really Deontay Johnson and Claypool are the two guys you want to look out to now for this. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I've, I've been saying, I think, I think Claypool is going to be due for uh, an uptick. Um, cause he was very, you know, TD dependent last year and kind of big play dependent. And I think, um, you know, another year there, Pittsburgh develops those guys well that he will be a little more well-rounded um, going into 2021. I think he's actually a pretty big buy. Um, he didn't quite fit into like my underrated players <laughs> we're going to talk about later. I thought about it, um, but I thought that, you know, the range he's going in right now is probably pretty fair, but I think he's a guy that, you know, has a big chance to outproduce, you know, expectations in 2021. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, he definitely has room to grow there, but I think he's priced about right right now. Um but we'll move into the next news segment here. And this is one that's um, it's probably going to be a little bit lengthier of a news segment. And uh, that is the Exos testing numbers that have been coming out here lately. Um, so with the NFL Combine, obviously, you know, on hold here, they're really only doing like medical checks at the Combine and like some occasional interviews here. To, but that's not going to be till closer to the draft. So there really isn't an opportunity for some of these guys to get out there and do some of their athletic testing that they would normally have done at the combine. Um, so Exos, uh, which is a performance sports facility Now they do also do like some physical therapy type stuff. They do some things beyond elite athletes, but that's really what they're known for is working with and training some of these elite athletes and elite draft prospects. Uh, they put on two combines uh, the first one was run by uh, ex-Buccaneers GM Mark Dominic, and that one was in Dallas. And the second one in Phoenix uh, was run by ex-Carolina Panthers Director of Player Personnel. Um, and why did I not write his name down? <laughs> That's all right. That's, it's not there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had his name written down here, and then it disappeared on me. Um, but so two former NFL guys who put the, the combines on, and some of the numbers coming out of here are pretty crazy. Now, they said that these are all verified by ex-NFL scouts. And they said they're sending videos to NFL teams. Well, they're sending the videos to the agents who are going to send them to NFL teams. Um, but some of the crazy numbers that are coming out, uh, Rashad Bateman, um, who's gotten a little bit of buzz as a back end of the first round wide receiver, uh, he had a 4-3-7 hand-timed 40 and a 4.39 laser timed 40. Tylen Wallace also had a 4.39 laser timed 40. Uh, Rondale Moore had a 42 inch vert, uh, which that one I actually believe um, because he's just crazy explosive. Uh, there was no 40 time for him out there that I saw. And then Austin's best friend, Jonathan Adams Jr., uh, was clocked at a 4.46 hand timed. A four four eight laser timed, uh, forty one and a half inch vert, 
a 6.93 cone time. Uh, so all pretty crazy numbers there. And then this one have I haven't seen verified anywhere. And I put this on the note as on the show sheet as a surprise for Austin because I want to see his live reaction on this one. Um, I saw in a Reddit thread that had Ian Book, quarterback from Notre Dame, running a 442 40 yard dash. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> that it was like I said, it was uh it was just a Reddit thread, but all of the, the all of the other scores on the Reddit thread were very like they were the ones that were verified by Exos. So and the thread was about all of these Exos times. So I haven't seen that one anywhere, and I dug pretty f- hard to try to find this one because uh, I mean, as you heard Austin's reaction, <laughs> did he there. did he tweet about it? Did you check his Twitter account? Because if I, I ran a four 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 forty, I you know like <laughs> I I would I don't have a Tinder profile. I'm married, but I would make one and just put <laughs> I ran a four four forty on it. Like it would be all over the place. Yeah, I checked his Twitter. Didn't see it anywhere. Um, and yeah, with Ian Book running a four four two forty, just for reference, um, you know Jerry Judy ran a four four five last year. Uh, Justin Jefferson a four four three, Jalen Hurts a four five nine. So you're not, and like I said, it wasn't verified or anything like that. But you're not going to sit there and tell me that Ian Book is faster than all of those guys, and not just faster, but significantly faster than Hurts. So I don't buy that one at all. But Austin, what are you thinking about all of these numbers that are coming out here? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so I know, like, I, like I, I don't. I don't subscribe to like there's some conspiracy that like, you know, uh, the laser was rigged and like all this stuff. But I do think that the conditions and things at Exos were in, were, were put in place in such a way to um, boost some of these numbers. And like I've said, you know, on Twitter, I talked about it in our Discord the other day when someone was asking about it. Exos has a vested interest in these kids doing well at this event. You know, like I said, it doesn't mean that they cheated anything or that, you know, they're fudging numbers or making stuff up, but they are a performance uh, facility that has been training these kids all off season for the draft. And it would look really bad for their business if everybody went out and absolutely totally crapped the bed and like all these events. So I've heard, you know, that they have, you know, this, the, the running surface at the combine is like the, the turf at Lucas Oil. I heard that they had like a track track of some sort used for, for the running events. So that probably boosted some times. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to fudge the jumping ones. You know, I don't, I, right. I, I don't think those were made up at all. Um, but it's just mostly the running ones. Um, and I think, you know, the one that especially made me think of it, and I know I like, it's not the Jonathan Adams one. <laughs> I mean, if the Jonathan Adams wasn't very happy <laughs> what I said the other day about that. Um, but it it was the Tylen Wallace one. Like I I like Tylen Wallace, and I've come around on him a little bit over the past month or two, watching a little bit more of his twenty twenty stuff. But there's no way he runs a four three nine. Like I'm sorry. Like there, go find me more than like two clips of him just like absolutely roasting somebody deep, like just based on speed. And I'll give you a, you know, I, I, <laughs> you're answered to win the next jersey. Like you don't have to rate or review. You just send me those clips because they aren't out there. Like I I just don't think he's that level of an athlete. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that too. That one really surprised me. Bateman surprised me as well. Um, just because, like I said, Jerry Judy ran a four four five, Jefferson ran a four four three, Jalen Rager ran a four four seven. All those guys were pretty regarded, 
Jefferson surprised some people with that speed, but I, I mean, you could see that on tape. But Judy and Rager were pretty widely regarded as going to be blowing up the combine there. And a 4.39.40 would have been tied for the fourth fastest 40 last year um, from wide receivers. So you're going to tell me that, uh, you know, both of those guys would have been in the top five fastest wide receivers from last year. I don't really necessarily buy that. So, you know, I kept digging into this and a little bit more, and I found a National Institute of Health study from 2015 uh, by J. Brian Mann and some other scientists that had hand-timed 40s produce times that are 0.22 seconds faster than electronic timing with a, you know, plus or minus 0.07 seconds there. And it was a 95% confidence interval for that. So, you know, electric timing for that study was a touchpad and had an infrared beam. They tested 81 players. They did two trials each. So it was a fairly decent sample size, fairly repeatable contesting conditions. So my big question here is why are all of these hand times, you know, only 2.02 seconds off from the laser times from Exos? You know, why, why are the hand times and the laser times that close? That's something that I, 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 th I think the hand times are probably right um, because the hand times you can kind of, you know, judge on those and, you know, it's, it, there's some human error in those. So you could be a little bit early, but I do kind of question those laser times. So, you know, why are we, I, I don't understand why they're that close when, like I said, there's the, and there, that wasn't the only study that looked into uh, the differences between hand times and uh, laser time forties. So, you know, I think if you look at the hand times, uh, it, you know, you take the hand times there. So Bateman at a four three seven, um, you know, and then you add the, you know, if, even if you say it's the minus 0.07 seconds, so that would bring it at a, a 0.15 difference. Even if you put that onto his score, now he's at a four five two, which I think is probably a little bit closer um, to what his actual time would have been. So. Like I said, that I know you brought up the surfaces, and I think that could definitely play a role in it. But my big question is, why are those laser times and hand times so close? Yeah, I I, I don't want to say that this that that thing kind of created more questions than answers, um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's just for people that rely on that data to kind of create their rankings. I think it's going to pose some problems this year. Um, and for those, I mean, maybe it puts the people that don't use it at a little bit of an advantage. I don't really know. Um, I, I, I don't use that stuff that much in my rankings personally, so I can't, uh, I can't necessarily speak to how dependent people might be on it, but it, it is definitely interesting for sure. Yeah. I don't, I, I use them in my rankings. So I have like an athletic testing score that I use to factor in and it's mostly just hitting certain thresholds, but that is going to definitely throw a wrench into things this year. And it is making it more difficult for me to come up with some of these grades because, you know, you have those times and it's like, you know, do I throw them all out and just don't use any times this year and just throw out all of athletic testing, uh, which I, it's, that's probably the direction that I'm leaning right now. It's just kind of throwing out all athletic testing for this year, not counting it for anybody across the board and just strictly relying on uh, the production metrics grades that I use and the film grades that I use. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the route I'll take as well, especially with our handy new data visualization tool. You know, I can <laughs> dig up on that stuff at the, you know, the touch of a button. <laughs> nice plug. Very nice. 
<laughs> um, so the the other news uh, items that we have here, um, Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, tore his ACL very early into the year last year. Uh, he is back running routes again. Um, so it's sounding like he's going to be probably ready for spring camp. Um, you know, if they do a mini camp, I don't, or like a, a spring camp there, I don't know how they're going to do that this year uh, with COVID still kind of hanging around. But if they have one, sounds like he's going to be, you know, ready for those OTAs there. Um, does, you know, how, how does him being seemingly ahead of schedule affect your him and your rankings at all? Um, it doesn't really. I mean, I think I have him in a pretty good spot overall, um, you know, just based on what I think his upside probably is in that offense. I mean, I have him at my wide receiver 20, 22, you know, uh, right around J- Jalen Waddle, Keenan Allen, like that, uh, Jamar Chase. Like, I have him in that range. That's a pretty good range, I think, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, so it, it probably doesn't affect him at all for me. And ACL stuff, like, it, it kind of impacts what I think. But at the same time, like, it's almost like Tommy John surgery with baseball, you know, like where for years it was like, oh, he got Tommy John's, like he's done. And now it's almost like, shit, I'd rather have this dude get Tommy John's at like 20 because then he's good for the next 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, like the ACL stuff doesn't, I mean, it, it impacts people a little differently, you know, depending on the person. But it doesn't scare me like it used to when guys get them. I'm which is like, oh, it's a lost season. You know, I mean, obviously it sucks a lot worse for them, but you know, that's just kind of how, what I think of now. And I could probably engage in Peterson for that. I mean, that, that guy yeah. made it look like it was like nothing to come back from. Yeah. Yeah. And I have him, um, just a little bit lower than you do at a wide receiver 25. Um, I have him right behind Jerry Judy, who I have at wide receiver 24. Um, I'm still kind of parsing out how I want those guys ranked. Like, which is why I have him at 24 and 25, um, you know, but then beyond that, I have uh, Terry McLaurin at 23 and Robert Woods at 26. So he's right there in that cluster for me. Um, I was always anticipating him being ready for the start of the season. So I think, uh, you know, so I, I don't think this changes too much for me. Um, and I saw the surprise look on your face. What were you going to, what were you going to say? McLaurin 23. Yeah, I, I like McLaurin. I really do. I don't love the situation that he's in right now. Um, I guess that's I, fair. I, I don't I'm just know looking at your rankings. You have him you have him below Mike Evans. I don't know. That's I, I do. That's crazy. I, that's crazy. I don't know who's throwing Terry McLaurin the ball next year. Um, you know, and that that impacts the rankings for me a little bit. So he's definitely a guy if they get that quarterback situation figured out, he's definitely a candidate to rise up the rankings because I have uh, Juju at 22. I have Mike Evans at 21. I have Rashad Bateman at 20. Some of the other rookies there. So he could reasonably jump, you know, Evans, Bateman, Juju, Evans, Bateman for me. Um, I don't know if I'll see him jumping Keenan Allen. Maybe. Keenan Allen I have at 19. That's probably about where he'll be, end up being for me. Um, I don't think he'll, he won't jump Allen Robinson for me. So. He could climb a couple spots for sure if they iron out that quarterback situation. But for now, I'm keeping him at 23. That's fair. I mean, I've always operated on like the, you know, you've seen what he's done without a QB. Like imagine (laughs) what he'll do if he ever gets one. But I think it's also, you know, presumptuous to ever think that Washington is going (laughs) to make like a correct move at quarterback, which kind of just leads right into the next thing that's on there. It does actually. Yeah, yeah, natural transition. I love it. Um, ESPN's John Keim 
uh, came out and said that uh, Teddy Bridgewater could make sense in Washington in 2021. So this isn't like news breaking or anything like that. Like he's not saying Washington has explored looking into Teddy Bridgewater, although it wouldn't surprise me if they had kind of looked into it. Uh, but obviously with Teddy Bridgewater's connection to Ron Rivera there, um, you know, and some of the other Washington or the, uh, some of the other Carolina guys that have kind of come into Washington, you know, I, I see what he's saying. Like that could make sense. So if Teddy Bridgewater does go to Washington, uh, how does that impact him in your rankings and how does that impact some of the other guys there? I mean, Teddy made some fantasy relevant wide receivers this year for Carolina. Did he not? I mean, I'm pretty sure Robbie were Robbie Samuel and um, more all top 24 or like all top 28 or something. They were all very close to that range. Um, I, I didn't have that on hand. I didn't really think about it until right now. So I apologize for that. Um, no, you're good. I actually have, um, some of the fantasy rankings up here. Um, let's see here. Robbie Anderson, 19, DJ Moore, 25, Curtis Samuel, 24. Okay. So they're all yeah. top 25. I mean, I think that would be good for Terry. And I think Terry's skill set probably fits pretty well with Teddy, who's Mr. Conservative, and uh, Terry McLaurin's Mr. Get o- you know, gets open easily. So you have to think that that's a pretty good, it would be a pretty good match. I mean, I don't know. Washington needs to do something. I don't really love Teddy as like a long-term option or as like a, I guess like a winning option, really. Like, I don't think you can really win a Super Bowl with him. I like the rest of your team has to be stacked. You know, it has to be like a, uh, the 2000 Ravens situation with Trent Dilfer and the defense is, is just absurd. Or, you know, like I, I don't think he's that much better than like that kind of that level of a quarterback. He, he's sufficient. So, um, I, it makes sense, yes, I think, um, especially because they might, on draft day, see the quarterbacks go earlier than they think, you know. Uh, so I think that's something you have to be prepared for. Yeah, I definitely think that's something Washington needs to be prepared for is not getting a quarterback uh, with where they're drafting. But I think that it also makes sense from uh, Carolina's perspective as well, where they're sitting at a spot where they're in position to snag one of them. If one of them falls a little bit, they're also in position to reasonably move up and not have to sell the farm to go get one. Um, And you got to think they want to give Joe Brady a, a actual quarterback to work with, you know, all respect to Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm with you he's not really a difference maker. He's not somebody that's going to win you a game. He's not even really anybody that you can game plan to have be an explosive quarterback. And like, you know, he's just, like you said, he's very conservative. So, you know, I think that that's fine for what Washington would do, but, you know, and that's fine for what they, what uh, Ron Rivera is probably kind of looking to do. He's kind of a more, you know, grinded out defensive kind of guy. Uh, but Joe Brady and um, Carolina, you know, seem to kind of want to turn the page and get this franchise jump started. Uh, so they'll probably look to bring in a quarterback and then Teddy Bridgewater becomes expendable. And if he does go to Washington, um, you know, like we were just talking about the quarterback situation there for McLaurin. If he goes to Washington, I think I would move him up ahead of uh, Keenan Allen. So he would probably jump up to my wide receiver 19 then at that point. That's um, fair. Yeah. just because of the age thing a little bit. And then I would like, I, like you said, I really like his skill set with Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I'm not sure who else would get a boost in that offense. I mean, they don't really have anything else there. Um, like they have some other pieces 
passing wise, you know, like um, Logan Thomas, but I almost think that he is like a guy that, that benefits more from there just being nobody else there. You know what I mean? Um, I like Antonio Gibson a lot too. Um, but you know, I don't, I'm not like if Teddy goes there, it's not like you can then say, Oh, well, Terry is the Robbie Anderson and uh, I can't even name like Cam Sims or, you know, they have like both Sims on their roster, don't they? Like, yeah, you know, one, you know, one of them is Curtis Samuel. And one of the guy that I don't think they're that level of a player. I think they will probably add at least one guy in the draft this year. Yeah, I think they do need to add a wide receiver in the draft this year. Um, I mean, they brought in Antonio Gandy Golden from last year. So, you know, he's a guy that I liked. Uh, so I, I could see him carving out a, maybe a role this year on the offense. Uh, but I think that this would help bringing Teddy Bridgewater in, I think would help JD McKissick who actually I had to talk about him like a little bit later on in the show. Cause it was relevant at that point, but I'll just bring it up now. Um, I think looking over at my rankings, I think I have McKissick a little bit too high. Uh, I have him at 38 right now, but I, looking at it, I like a lot of the guys behind him more. So I'm not exactly sure why I had him over some of those guys. It could have just been an oversight on my end. So I'll call that out now, but I think he should probably be, a little bit further down, closer to the Jamal Williams, Damian Williams range, um, which was like right around like fifty-five for me. So I, I am had a, him. I am apparently the lowest of all of us on him. As I as I look here, quick, um, I have him at sixty-eight. JD McKissick. You're, you're also probably the highest on uh, Gibson, though. I think, right? I like Gibson, and it's it's one of those um, like I mean, I guess we haven't had a dedicated show. We haven't been around long enough, you know, for me to go dig up a bunch of clips of us. Yeah, being wrong because I will probably do that like once a year, you know. Oh, yeah, I have like a really fun episode where like we go back and how confident we are saying, like, this guy sucks, and he goes out the next <laughs> year and just absolutely tears it up. And we're just like, ah, oh, shit. So the Gibson would be my guy from last year. I was not that high on him as a prospect, you know. I'd seen, I'd seen some clips in isolation of him, not that there were that many touches to even pull from that he looked good. And I was like, okay, like I can pull those kind of clips from just about anybody running back and make them you know, really bump up their draft profile. Um, he really exceeded everything that I expected year one. And I'm trying to get him in like all my leagues. I'm pretty all in on Gibson at this point. I think he's a good player. I think he's very versatile. And with the nature of Washington, not having that many weapons, uh, I am probably trying to buy him um, in, in all my leagues this year. Cause I think he outproduces whatever his ADP will be. Yeah, no, I definitely like, I definitely like Gibson as well. Um, you have him at 11. I have him at 12. So we're right there around the same spot. Um, I'm probably not as aggressively looking to buy him as you are, but I do definitely like him. Um, I think it looks like actually Felix is the highest on him. Felix has him as eight. Doesn't surprise me because Felix likes those size speed monsters. And I think Gibson is very much that, you know, he's not quite like a Saquon, but I mean, he's not that far off that class of an athlete at that position. Right. Uh, So we'll move into the last uh, news segment here. And this is a big one. Um, in kicker news, the Cardinals released Zane Gonzalez. Uh, all right, so we'll move on here to the next segment. <laughs> we'll move on to the startup season part deuce. Uh, so this is just kind of circling back to last week uh, where we're going to pick two more undervalued guys because we didn't uh, get to fully expand on that section. We were running a little short on time last week. Um, so we're going to pick two undervalued guys here based on their startup. Uh, and where we have them and where we think they're kind of going. My first guy that I have here uh, is Tua um, Tungvaloa. And, you know, you see a lot of people who are kind of down on him. 
There's a lot of trade rumors about them. Miami already potentially looking to move on from him, although those have kind of subsided a little bit more. Um, you haven't heard those as recently. But Tua was my number one quarterback coming out last year. You know, I like him a lot. I think that he, we all expected him to redshirt last year. He ended up getting time. And I, I don't think necessarily think that was good for him. I think he probably would have benefited from sitting out the entire year. I think the Dolphins as a team probably would have benefited from sitting out from him sitting out the entire year because Fitzpatrick was handling the offense fine. And then by, you know, they pulled Fitzpatrick, they threw in um, Tua and it created a quarterback controversy. Neither of those guys were super happy about it. None of the, nobody on the team was really all that happy about it. So I think Miami really did Tua a disservice there. And I think that's really tarnished the type of prospect that he was. And I said, I liked him a lot as a prospect, you know, and, you know, he ended up finishing this past year as the quarterback 32, um, which is right behind Andy Dalton. So, you know, he's, he's coming in pretty undervalued right now, but, you know, I think with Miami, you know, they already have a couple of decent guys there. They got Parker, the Preston Williams should be back. Uh, they have Gesicki, who I like. They kind of need like an underneath kind of a guy because I think that's where Tua really, Tua really relied on on those types of guys before. Like he had Judy, um, you know, he had Waddle there, and the, both of those guys were kind of running more of the under, underneath intermediate type stuff. So I think if you get Tua a weapon like that, I think you're going to see Tua really shine and really bounce back to the the prospect that we saw in college. And he's just so undervalued right now. Uh, you know, you don't you hear a lot of people who are kind of out on him. Um, you know, if you look at our rankings, I have him at 11 and you have him at 22. So I'm pretty significantly higher on Tua. He's still very young. He's still only 22 years old. I still think he's going to be the face of that franchise in Miami. He's another guy where if we had been doing this show longer, you could go back and clip me saying that I really liked Tua last year and me trying to acknowledge quickly enough without, you know, flip-flopping that I'm not sure he's it. Um, the bit so I with that before the hip injury, I had him graded as my QB one in the class. And if you excluded that kind of you know information from my analysis, ultimately he would have been my QB one. He ended up being QB two behind Burrow. Um, because the hip did, I mean, obviously it scares me. Anytime a guy like they're like, you know, they have to perform a surgery that like does they don't ever perform on a kid and he wants to be a professional athlete, like, yeah, not really sure how I feel about that in the grand scheme of things. And then he went out and played and like he flashed a little bit and it kind of made me happy at the same time though. Like I think he clearly mentally and physically was not good with the hip. And so obviously I think there is a lot of value there. If he comes back from it, it just scares me enough. And I'm kind of risk averse with those kind of things that like, I think you can still get a decent amount for him. And I'm not sure, you know, for what you could trade him for, I'm not sure how much he would ever outproduce that for fantasy purposes. So this is the time, I think, where you cut bait. Because if he goes out and plays bad, like game one, game two, in a lot of people's minds, that's going to confirm that opinion. Yeah, I think that that I think you're right. That's going to kind of be the confirmation bias that some people need. And week one, week two, if he doesn't look good, he doesn't start out hot, they're going to be like, oh, well, Tua sucks. You know, let's move on. But I'm I'm looking to buy him right now. I'm on the opposite side of that. I I would be looking to buy him right now. And if you can't buy him right now for a price you're comfortable with, wait until he, you know, maybe struggles game one or game two next year. Cause I think that's an entirely possible scenario that, 
you know, maybe he'll get off to a slow start. I haven't looked at their schedule or what it looks like yet for next year. Um, but so I don't know who they get in those first two games, but you know, I think potentially he comes out slow and then people are now looking to move him and they're looking to cut bait, like you said. And I'm, I'm still a believer in Tua. I think you're right. I think mentally he was not back from that. That was a pretty devastating injury. And, you know, you, you saw some of the mental mistakes that he just didn't make in college. And you saw him, he just wasn't as mobile as he was in college either. He couldn't really get outside the pocket that well. So I think he's going to benefit from a full year and a half, full year, year and a half-ish recovery by the time next season rolls around. A full off season of being the quarterback, assuming they don't move him. And I think that that's going to really help him mentally from, uh, you know, uh, from a mental side and from a confidence standpoint. And I think if you get to see the confident to, uh, you know, who was a smart, very smart quarterback in college, I think if you get that back, I think he's a screaming value right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he, um, you know, going into last year, I had, I didn't think any of the quarterbacks in last year's draft, like I thought they were some good quarterbacks. You know, I had Burrow and Tua with first round grades. And then I had, um, Herbert with an early second round grade uh, for fantasy, like, you know, for dynasty. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really have the thought that any of them could really succeed in an offense that like they couldn't carry an offense, at least not early in their career. They are very much, in my opinion, you know, they need to have things going right around them. And I guess, you know, Burrow had more of that, you know, the line was really bad but he had a lot more playmakers than Tua did in, in my opinion. So I think we saw a little more of that from Burrow than we did with Tua. Um, I, I am very interested to see how those three quarterbacks do, you know, Herbert Burrow and Tua in 2021. Um, Cause I, I'm, I, I'm not all in on Herbert yet. I still need to see a little more from him, but he's very intriguing as well. And I'm I, the Chargers offense as a whole is like, just a lot of question marks. Like I, all those guys could be awesome at value or they could all be terrible at value for 2021. I just don't know yet. Yeah. I'm with you there. And I need to see it a little bit more from Herbert as well. It's, I mean, I know we were both lower on Herbert um, last year and it's looking like he's going to prove us wrong, but I'm notoriously slow to move at the quarterback position to move off of a take uh, at the quarterback position, I'm much more flexible when it comes to wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, everything else. But quarterbacks are just such a difficult position to evaluate. And you see some guys flash at times and then just fall off the face of the earth. Like you've seen with Mariota, you've seen with Trubisky, you've seen with Bortles, you know, so I, I'm slow to move off of some quarterback takes. So I am still higher than consensus on Tua, and I'm still probably lower than consensus on Herbert, and that's just a carryover from last year. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, it's a very hard balance, you know, not being reactionary, right? But at the same time, you know, not having you know take lock or whatever we call it, um, right? So I, you know, it's a very fine line. Um, I think we approach it pretty similarly. Um, I don't know. I think I've been I've been burned both ways in the past. So yeah, same. It, you know, it kind of tempered, you know, you start leaning one way and then it gets you, smacks you back the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Quarterback's just such a tough position to evaluate that I just, I, like I said, I'm slower to move at that position just because it's so difficult. Um, but we'll move off of, uh, move off of the quarterback talk here and I'll throw it to you here to talk uh, about one of your undervalued guys here. So who's a guy that you're looking at in startups that you think you can get really good value for? 
So I think right now, if I had to choose one guy, I mean, we both chose two for tonight's show, um, but just the first guy that really comes to mind for me, just looking at our rankings and looking at some rankings across other websites, uh, is Darius Slayton. And I don't even like love, love Darius Slayton. You know, I, I like him. I think he's a solid player, you know, um, I am looking at our rankings here. We have him overall combined at about 52, 52nd wide receiver overall. Um, I have him as my 50th, so I'm fairly in line with, with you know, our consensus. And I think that seems to be about the consensus with other people. I just think he is a screaming buy right now, even if New York goes out and addresses the position in the draft and free agency this year, because I think they're going to. You know, they just cut Golden Tate. Outside of him, they have Sterling Shepard. Is he? Uh, he's some sort of a free agent. Oh no, they just resigned him. He, he's back. So they they have Sterling Shepard. Totally, but he's always role. hurt. Yes, he's always hurt in a totally different role than Darius Slayton. They have Evan Ingram, who is like fine, but I think at this point we all know what he is. You know, he's not gonna wow anybody else. He's a Pro Bowler last year though, so <laughs> yeah, good on him. Um, but I think if you just go and look at, at Slayton, you know, he's uber athlete. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, you know, 70, he ran a 4.3940 at 6.1190, um, you know, 75th percentile speed score, a 95th percentile catch radius, uh, uh, you know, getting all the stuff off player profiler. So he has the athletic ability. He's got solid size. I actually thought he was a little bigger than 6.1. That surprises me he's that small. I thought he was like 6.2, 6.3. But I just think, you know, he uh, there's not a lot of other places to go on that roster in terms of pass catching targets. I think the number one wide receiver on an offense is almost always valuable, even if, you know, the offense isn't very good. You know, I I I don't even know if anyone's ever done this, but to go look at like the worst finishes of a number one wide receiver on an offense, you know, I can't imagine it's worse than 50, you know, which is what his rank is right now. Um, you know, maybe that year where the Chiefs wide receivers didn't catch a touchdown all year or whatever. <laughs> uh, what was that, like 2014 or something like that? And they had like the carcass of Dwayne Bowe and like a nothing else out there at wide receiver. <laughs> so I think just situationally, and then, you know, what he's done in the past, um, you know, he's this past year, he put up, you know, about 100 targets, 50 catches, 751 yards, three touchdowns. The year before that, about 50 catches, 750 yards, eight touchdowns. So maybe he goes as far as his touchdowns go because that seems to really be the difference in variance between the two years. Um, but with a full year, you know, if Daniel Jones plays, Daniel Jones seems to like him. And so I just think he's worth taking a shot on at that point. Yeah, no, I com- I completely agree with you. I think that he is – somebody who is definitely undervalued. I think that even if the giants go out and bring in a wide receiver, which I don't think is a foregone conclusion just because Gettleman doesn't really seem to value the positions like the rest of the NFL. He seems to kind of value things back there back in the eighties. He likes his hog mollies and he likes to draft his running backs in the top five. And he likes to get whatever Daniel Jones is at quarterback. Um, so I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they add a wide receiver of consequence this year. And even if they don't, I think that Slayton is Slayton's a buy for sure. I have him at 58 overall. So I'm a little bit lower than you are. I have him just ahead of Brandon cooks. 
Um, I have him just ahead of Tylen Wallace. Um, and just behind guys like Denzel Mims, um, Diami Brown, and I'm trying to find my um, Henry Ruggs. I have a 57. So I have him right there in, in that group. Uh, but last year, he finished as the wide receiver 55 and half PPR. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty much right there. Um, pretty, I think that's valued fairly well, but I think he's definitely the type of guy who could see a rise because I do think that offense is going to take a step forward either this year or it's going to have to take a step forward the following year without Daniel Jones. I think he's kind of holding the offense back a little bit, but... You know, I think he, either way, he's still only 24 years old. So he's still young, still got a lot of career left ahead of him. So I, I think he's a good buy right now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I really have to, to say about him, to be totally honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'll move into the next guy who's a buy for me right now. He's an undervalued guy. And um, that's Raheem Mostert. Now, obviously, you know, people were thinking about Raheem Mostert's 2019 year where he just exploded at the end of the year. Uh, and had a fantastic fantasy finish there. Um, but then, you know, you fast forward to this year and he finishes as the RB 48 in half PPR. And that seems low, but, you know, it's when you look at his games played this year, he played the first two games. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit, but he had 95 yards of receiving in the first game. Um, with only 56 yards rushing. And then the next game after that, he had 92 yards rushing and a touchdown. So, you know, he had, he had some decent numbers in the first two weeks, and then he got hurt for two weeks. And then he was back for two weeks, and then he was hurt for four weeks. And then he was back for four weeks, and then he was hurt for another two. So it was very up and down all year this year. But, you know, he, he was very productive the year before that. He was productive when he was on the field this year. And then San Francisco loses Jarek McKinnon, they lose Tevin Coleman. Uh, Jeff Wilson is a restricted rights free agent, I believe. Um, so they could, he could leave as well, depending on how they tender him. So he's pretty much the only guy left standing there. And, you know, we all want pieces of the um, San Francisco backfield right now. And you don't really hear anybody talking about Raheem Mostert. Um, I mean, I'm, pretty significantly the highest on him in our rankings right now. I have him at 25 overall. Um, you're the next close or no Felix is the next closest at 32. Then you're at 38. Matt has him at 80. So, you know, people are pretty, people are pretty he, low on him. He didn't go to Ohio state. <laughs> that, that's his problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, he, people are all over the map with how they're trying to value him right now, but I think when you look at it from a fantasy perspective, I don't see him finishing, assuming he take he keeps a hold of that lead job there, I don't see him finishing any worse than a high-end RB2 at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just never know what to make of that San Francisco backfield because, yeah, like they're all, they all take like a turns missing five games. So it's kind of hard. I guess if you have the whole backfield, but at the same time, it's like, now nah, I'm wasting four roster spots or whatever on the... <laughs> The back of the one team's backfield, you know, maybe those roster spots are are better used somewhere else. I don't know. He's fast. He's a good athlete. I think he is a really good running back, man. If he could stay healthy, he would be rated way. I think he'd be rated similarly in people's minds to like an Aaron Jones, you know, basically just Aaron Jones, but not, you know, his wagon isn't hitched to a great quarterback. 
but you know, if he could stay healthy, I think that's that's the esteem that we would hold him in. But alas, he's not. So you know, he, he's injured and he's not with Aaron Rodgers. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, who knows if Aaron, Aaron Jones is going to be with Rodgers for too much longer. Well, that's why I think I have Aaron Jones lower than most of us because I I don't dislike Aaron Jones. It's just, you know, when you're not connected to Aaron Jones, it's – or, yeah, you're not connected to Aaron Rodgers. It's yeah, – production's a little more – you know, there's some more question marks there. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there on the Aaron Jones front. But, yeah, I just – I think that he's he's a guy who's pretty significantly undervalued right now. You could probably go out and get him for very cheap, especially during your rookie draft. You know, if you have a, you probably wouldn't even need to give up a late second to get him. You could probably give up a third, honestly, an early third to get him. Um, but to, based on this class, like when you're on the clock, if there's nobody there that you like, give him up. You know, give up a third. Go get Raheem Mostert. And like I said, you know, I think he is the type of guy who's going to finish no worse than a high-end RB2, uh, assuming he, you know, assuming they don't bring in any other significant running back in free agency, because that's like obviously the big kicker is that hasn't happened yet. But I don't think that they, I don't think that they will. Um, I think that, you know, it's going to kind of be him and maybe they bring back Jeff Wilson and then Jamichael Hasty. I think they're going to kind of roll with those three, maybe bring in a late round guy in the NFL or signs or in the draft or sign somebody real cheap. But I think it's really going to be his backfield. I was just thinking, you know, like I'd rather you were talking about it getting him in, you know, the early third or whatever. I would rather have him than like Jamar Jefferson, you know, yeah. like that. I think that you, know, you were just saying earlier what Jamar Jefferson, like we were talking about him as like a, you know, a late second, early third round guy. I think Mostert is, I would rather have him. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a good value. And I've, Hmm. Maybe I'll have to float that out there in some of the leagues we're in. You have you have Mostert in a lot of the leagues we're in, though, don't you? Or <laughs> <laughs> I did at the beginning of the year. I had the I had the whole San Francisco backfield at one point in the one league, and I traded Mostert and Coleman to the one guy, and then those two guys got hurt, and then I traded uh, Wilson and Hasty to that same guy. <laughs> um, not for anything of consequence. I think it was just like some seconds or something like that, um, or in a larger deal, but. Uh, yeah, so I had all four of them at one point. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I didn't mean to. Like I said that earlier, like, oh, I'm not wasting four spots in this backfield. And I was like, oh, shit, I think Colin I did, did yeah. that at some point I last did. year. Well, Hasty so. was on my taxi squad, which is nice. But yeah, I wasted three roster spots. So close. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, uh, like I said, you know, float, float an offer out there for most of during the rookie draft. See if you can't get him if there's anybody on, that you like that's on the clock. Uh, but we'll move into the next guy here, and we're just kind of hitting one guy at each position. So I'll let you take it away with your uh, undervalued tight end here. So, uh, yeah, I put Hunter Henry as my second guy here. Um, and, you know, I think he's just the kind of guy that, like, isn't particularly flashy, you know, and that, I mean, that I think that is reflected in his rankings. You know, he is not a an upside tight end. He he's not Noah Fant or, you know, Darren Waller's already way above that point. You know, like some of those guys that are in that second tier where you're like, well, he could explode. And I don't think Hunter Henry necessarily has that in his, you know, bag of whatever. But what I do think that he brings is I think he has good hands. You know, he's reliable and steady. And I think the big wild card is that he's a free agent this year and that, I think, you know, with the cap being what it is, 
he's going to go to a team that like needs a tight end. You know what I mean? I think the luxury spending for a tight end is not going to happen this off season. So someone, you know, putting the dough out there for him needs him and wants to utilize him in their offense. And I think that's going to work in his favor. You know, I think if you look at our rankings here, we have him consensus wise as tight end 11. And that is like in the range of some of the rookie guys coming in this year and Pat Fryermuth and Brevin Jordan, um, you know, just behind Jonu, uh, who we have at nine. But like we have Dallas Goddard at eight. I don't know. I mean, I like Dallas Goddard. I just never know what to make of him and the Eagles. And then we have like, we have him, you know, between Fryermuth and Jordan, who I like both of them, you know, Robert Tunyon at 13. Okay, you know, he's had one he's had one year. Granted it was a really good year, but I don't know. You know, so if you're looking in that tier, I just think Henry is much safer and when he plays, he produces. Now I realize that he's missed some games over the years, although, you know, he killed me in the fantasy playoffs last year in two leagues, but to be fair to him, it was a COVID thing. It wasn't like, you know, anything he really could have helped. But like, you know, in 2020 he played 14 games and he finished as the 12th overall tight end in PPR. Probably would have finished a little, you know, probably finished right around tight end. I mean, the, the margins were so small that he probably could have finished as like tight end eight or something if he played those last two weeks. 2019, PPR, tight end nine, standard tight end eight. He missed 2018 with the injury. 2017, he was 12th in standard and 14 in PPR, again in 14 games. So you can see, like, I know, like, he finishes consistently around, you know, that 10 to 12 mark. But I just think, you know, if he gets – if he if he were to play a full season, I think you could get a lot more production out of him depending on where he lands this offseason. Yeah, no, I, Hunter Henry is a guy that I like. Uh, he's he's very 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 consistent, which is something that you don't see a lot at the tight end position. So there's definitely value in that. But I, you know, I don't I don't know. I just I, I, there's other guys that I like just a little bit more. Um, you know, I have Tunyon, who you mentioned. I have him ahead of him. I like Brevin Jordan um, a lot, so I have him ranked ahead of him right now. So I have Hunter Henry as my tight end 14, which when you look at it, it does feel a little low given how consistent he's been. But, you know, he like you said, he misses games, and availability sometimes is the best ability. Uh, and there's just a pattern with him. So you're probably going to get 12 to 14 games every year, and he's going to put up, you know, solid production every time he's in there, but you have to be ready to replace him. And if you're not, you have to end up starting Anthony Ferkser and then you end up losing in the fantasy playoffs. Not, not that anyone would ever do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't, the thing about like winning fantasy leagues is like, I don't even care about the money or whatever, you know, you get from it. I just want, especially like that's our home league. I just want, yeah. Cause that would have been my third championship in that league in five years. Um, so a, you damn well would have heard about it <laughs> for basically forever. I mean, you already hear about the fact that I've got two, Yeah, but like I, I said, if Ferkser went off and won me that matchup, I would donate my winnings from the league to, to whatever charity, like, you know, <laughs> whatever charity is Anthony Ferkser's. So, you know, if he's like helping homeless kids in, in Tennessee, you know, Ferkser let you guys down. I'm sorry. You, know, <laughs> you guys could have had some money and that guy went out and crapped the bed. Um, <laughs> So, but I don't know. I mean, I, I like Henry and yeah, I mean, he's very consistent. Like look at his, I mean, I realize the situation's probably changing, but if you look at his targets last year, eight, eight, seven, four, eight, seven, four, seven, six, seven, ten. 
Like the guy got was very consistent. was getting consistent targets. I it kind of would have been nice to see him there with another another year with Justin Herbert to see if they could have built a little more um, chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, I don't know if he necessarily fits what Herbert does that well. So I think he will actually probably be better in a different situation. So it'll depend on where he goes, but he is definitely somebody I could see being a riser, and he's just somebody that everybody forgets about. Like he's not a sexy name at all. He's just. Yeah. Mr. Reliable. He's like the new Jason Witten. I need to look and see what his ADP is um, for this year. We don't, we're not collecting that info currently. So I have to look elsewhere and see, you know, where he's going, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion. It's not that high, you know, for what uh, he he could do for us. Yeah. Um, So we'll, uh, we'll move into the last segment here, there, and we always do a a freshman profile on the uh, campus life show. So I thought we would do a rookie profile here. Uh, on this one and my uh, my rookie profile this week is on Oregon State running back Jamar Jefferson uh, 5'10 217 so he's got that prototypical size there that you're looking for um, you know as a as a true freshman he put up 1380 yards and 12 touchdowns 25 catches for 147 yards through the air as well so he had a breakout true freshman campaign I uh, really put himself on the map there and then just plummeted last year he had a very bad year last year very down year 142 carries for 685 yards and eight touchdowns and then nine catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns now he was hurt that year uh he did only play nine games that year nine of their 12 games and he played nine games but he was banged up in several of the other ones uh, and then Artavis Pierce came in and kind of, you know, played pretty well. So when he was back, it was kind of like a time uh, timeshare there. So very down year last year, kind of fell off of people's radars. But this year, you know, he was in the Pac-12. So he wasn't, he kind of stayed off of people's radars a little bit uh, just because they only played six games total this year, Oregon State, and they started late, the weird COVID year. But he actually had a very productive year this year. He had 133 carries for 858 yards, which was a 6.5 yards per carry. Um, He had seven touchdowns. uh, Then he had nine catches, 67 yards, um, no touchdowns through the air. Um, So the receiving production dipped there a little bit after the first year, but he showed that he can do it. But uh, the thing I like the most about Jamar Jefferson is he's so patient and he has very good vision. Always seems to find the cutback lanes. He presses the line very well. Uh, and then he weaves through traffic very well as, as you know in the at the line of scrimmage and in the open field he sets his blocks up nicely uh, at different levels of the field there as well and he has good long speed um he's not a burner by any means but he could break off big chunks of yards at times and he has some nice long td runs in his tape so speed isn't a concern for me for him um now you know he's not very bursty or explosive. Uh, that is a little bit of a concern for me. It seems to just kind of lack the leg drive and the power, um, which you see when he gets hit head on. You know, he he has not very good power. You know, he frequently is getting pushed back by defensive uh, players. You know, at all levels of the field, even some safeties get. You know, when they get there, when they square him up, you know, they're able to stop him in his tracks. So I think he lacks the leg drive there. And, and I would have been very interested to see some of his burst score numbers this year, but obviously we're not going to. Um, but he's a very fluid athlete, at least. Um, you know, he, he never looks shifty, but he looks very smooth, 
when he runs. You know, he kind of weaves his way through traffic, like I was saying before. But despite not having great power, he does have good contact balance. And, and if you don't hit him square, he can bounce off. Um, he can run through arm tackles. You know, he'll hit and spin. So, you know, I, I like that aspect of his game as well. And, you know, like I said before, he's a decent pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, he has potential to be a three-down back if he develops a little bit more in this area. Um, I, I don't see him ever being a weapon in the pass game. I see him probably being more of a timeshare type back at the next level, uh, unless he develops that third-down game a little bit more. But, you know, when you look at – and I'm trying to work some of the advanced analytics in here a little bit uh, from courtesy of Jarek's database – and when you look at those, um, you know, his freshman and junior year, you know, he was uh, above the the trend line for backs who had a top 12 season for yards created, uh, adjusted yards for team play, uh, dominator rating, and most of the other metrics. So he has a very good analytic profile as well. Uh, it was just that ankle injury that cost him a sophomore year and really limited him. And that's kind of what's lingering in some people's minds. So I think he's a guy who's going really under the radar right now. Um, I have him at 26 for my rookies. Uh, I have him at 45 for running backs overall, but he's a guy who's probably going to be climbing a little bit for me as I'm starting to get back into his 2020 tape this year and looking into him, um, you know, but having a, a bounce back year this year, uh, like I said, that kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on the pre-show about how, you know, one, we try not to let one year, especially if it's not the final year, that's like the the nice yeah. added bonus we got with a guy like him or like J.K. Dobbins, where then you get that, you know, first year great, second year is really poopy, and then third year is great again, and you can almost just toss out that second year, you know, if as it relates to injury. Um, so yeah, that sounds like mostly what you're doing with him. You're just kind of saying, well, you know, whatever, you know, that that doesn't count for too much in my mind. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't want to discount it entirely because it happened, but I am putting more significantly more weight on his freshman and junior years here. And like I said, I am still working my way through his 2020 tape, but I think he's a guy who's going to be rising for me a little bit. That's fair. Uh, you know, on Debbie Debate, I think we did a profile on him already, and and Felix comped him maybe not necessarily completely stylistically to Devonta Freeman, but like that would be the best case scenario for his career. You know, he goes somewhere where it's kind of an open backfield and there's not really a lot else there. That's like tempting to take over him. And he puts up a couple of good years. You know, you never think of him as like, Oh, I got to take Devonta Freeman early in a draft, but you like him and you know, he can put up four to five, good NFL years and then he's just kind of gone. And he's one of those guys that like, you know, if Twitter is around or whatever the equivalent is in like 15 years, that's like, you know, name that random, you know, name a random running back or whatever. And someone's like, you know, Devonta Freeman or, you know, probably Jamar Jefferson. You're like, Oh yeah, I remember him. Like he was, you know, he made the pro bowl one year and you know, where he had that really good year with whoever, you know, I think that is like the best case scenario for him, which like, isn't a bad player, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, uh, Devonta Freeman is like a solid, um, you know, fantasy comp there for him. You know, he's in the right situation. You know, I think he could be a guy who's definitely fantasy relevant. Um, you know, and, and speaking of that, I, I was checking out some of like the teams. Uh, I was checking out some of like the rumors that, you know, who who people have been meeting with virtually. Uh, and NFLTradeRumors.com uh, had said him reportedly meeting with the Colts, uh, the Niners, the Jets, 
the Packers and New England. And I think those would all be pretty solid. I mean, obviously not the Colts because they have Taylor and they're pretty set there at running back. But the other spots would be very interesting spots. I think there's spots that I think he could produce pretty well in. Um, you know, Green Bay already has um, A.J. Dillon, but they could use a compliment back for him. You know, New England has Michelle and Harris, but nobody's really stood out there. They're, uh, they're going to lose James White probably in a free agency. Um, and then, you know, we talked about the Niners earlier and the Jets don't have anybody. So, you know, if he goes to any of those places, I'd definitely be interested. Yeah, Jets would be interesting, especially with, um, you know, last year's kind of sleeper darling uh, P. Ryan there. I think you would see a, a that would be like a hotly contested, you know, who starts for the Jets this year. A talk pretty much all season or all off season on like every single dynasty podcast ever. Yeah, um, that that would be a very interesting um, kind of competition between those two guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think you know. Uh, you want me to just hop into Gainwell here? Yeah, hop into it. Word. So. I, I picked Kenny Gain, Kenny Gainwell to talk here about tonight because I think he's been uh, getting a little more talk. You know, I think it was natural for us not to be talking about him for a while since he didn't play at all in 2020, and he really only played one one year in college. You know, like it's not, um, you know, he wasn't a senior that opts out. He's very similar to Jamar Chase in that aspect. You know, <clears throat> Jamar Chase's uh, one year was obviously a heck of a lot better than Kenny Gainwell's, but. It's kind of the same thing where, you know, kind of contributed as a freshman, absolutely blew the doors off as a sophomore, opt out third year, and now they're in the draft. So Gainwell is listed at 5'11", 194, and that's probably about what I would guess he was at when I watched him play. You know, he looks to be about that size and weights. Obviously, I think we want him to gain a little more weight, and I think anything below 205 to me entering the NFL would be very disappointing just because I think uh, chance of success drops a lot at that point because he's not like he's super tiny. You know, if he was 5'8", five, five, 195 or, you know, whatever, I'd feel better about that than 5'11". That's a little lankier. You don't see a lot of guys really succeed at that particular size. I think um, uh, Noah Hills did a really interesting piece last year on that where he was looking at guys kind of in that size, speed, um, or the, yeah, like size, speed, weights kind of combo. I think he was specifically looking at Chuba Hubbard, but I think Gainwell, you know, isn't far off that kind of arch- body archetype. Um, Memphis running back, you know, Memphis has churned out a lot of these guys over the past couple of years. And obviously he's the guy that kept Antonio Gibson on the sideline for a lot of 2019. So I think that has to count for something, although college guy, college coaches don't always get it right in that regard. Um, but but that sophomore year in 2019, he was a, a redshirt freshman. He played in all 14 games, 231 carries, 1,459 yards, and 13 touchdowns. So that's 6.3 yards per carry. But then he had 51 catches for 610 yards and three touchdowns. And that is like Mike Leach offense levels of running back reception production in an offense that is not a Mike Leach offense and therefore I think makes that a little bit more impressive. And that's 12 yards per reception. Like that's, you know, I think when I'm looking at these running backs in college, I've not like sat down and charted it out or like looked through Jarek's stuff to kind of chart that stuff out. But once I start seeing double digits, that starts to intrigue me. And I start to think that you're probably being used as more than just the emergency 
uh, quarterbacks getting hit. Let me just get rid of this ball as quickly as I can. Oh, there's my running back kind of option. You know, there is design stuff in there. And even if it is a dump off, you're more likely to make the first guy miss or make the second guy miss and get you know, pick up that extra yardage. So he can do that. And I think any discussion that's that, that you have about Kenny Gainwell is naturally just going to go to his pass catching ability. If he can gain, oh, go ahead, Colin. No, no, no go ahead. Uh, if he if he gains those ten pounds or whatever, I'm more than comfortable saying that I think at worst his career he's a very good third down back. You know, I think that's like that would be his floor in the NFL. Um, running wise, you know, because that's a large part of the position as well. Obviously, he runs a little tougher than than you would think. I have noted. You know, he's not dragging a pile or you're not putting him on the goal line. You're not a short yardage. You're not doing any of that stuff with him. But I think he has, you know, and he's not punishing guys the end of runs. But at the same time, you know, if he needs to, uh, you know, uh, try to drive a little bit for an extra yard or something, I think generally he can do that. He is slightly better on outside stuff than inside. And that's what kind of gives me a pause about some of these slightly lighter backs in college because it's just a little easier to get the edge and a little easier to make that linebacker miss in the hole, and then a little bit easier just to you know turn on the jets and sneak past that safety or that corner where he's trying to eliminate that angle down the sideline or close to it, or, you know, outside the hashes. So when I watch him, that does make me a little bit nervous. But at the same time, I think he has very good vision. You know, he's not just bouncing because he knows that he's more athletic than everybody else. You know, I think especially a lot of the time you could see him. You know, like they would run a zone play and he would cut back and hit like the backside of it. And so I think that that is that skill will translate for him for sure. And he does sift through traffic well. You know, he is good in traffic. And what I mean by that is when you get in kind of, you know, there's a lot of bodies flying around. Some of these backs, you know, they kind of just put the head down, two hands on the ball, run into whatever's in front of them and go down. And he will, you know, try to set a guy up or make a guy miss or it has the capability to do those things. So I think that will probably translate well for him, too. Um, and I, I just have noted, you know, at his best for a role, I think he it's when he's either catching passes out of the backfield or he's allowed to run downhill at the line because I think otherwise he may struggle in a more traditional offensive set. Yeah, I think I like Kenny Gainwell. So, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, he's probably not your traditional running back. He's a guy who's going to need to go to a system that probably uses some more outside zone type scheme stuff and lets him get out in space and that uses him as a pass catcher. And I think if you, he goes to a situation like that, you know, I think he could be an extremely valuable running back. I think he could very easily be a consistent RB2 type guy. Um, you know, I have him as my RB four behind, uh, you know, obviously the big three there in Harris, ETN and Javante Williams, but he's the guy that we have ranked most consistently, uh, outside of our, outside of the top 10. He's the guy that we're the most consistent on, um, Alfred has him at 19. You have him at 22. I have him at 20. Felix has him at 20. Matt has him at 20. So we're all pretty much right in the same place with him. So I think he's the type of guy that, 
you know, you're going to take in the middle, maybe back half of the second round there. And I think he's a guy that, like I said, you know, he could put up some big numbers for you. I think that that could be a really nice value at that spot. Yeah, I think going any earlier than that and you're reaching, but I think that's kind of going to be a sweet spot. And that's the problem with a lot of these running backs after the top three guys. And even some of those top three guys, you know, they're going, we've talked about this, just earlier than you're comfortable taking them. And I do fear that if Kenny Gainwell weighs in at whatever place he's going to weigh in at before the draft, I'm hoping we get something like that on him, that he's going to hit those whatever weight metric we want. And then it's just going to be, you know, well, if that's my only doubt, then, you know, I think we're going to see him, especially if he goes to like a decent landing spot. I think he goes, he might go in the first just because of the lack of running backs in this class. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's totally a possibility. And at that point, you know, zero Kenny Gainwell for me this year. Yeah, I think just the the lack of running backs in this class, I I do think you're right. I, I think the back, I think the first would surprise me even no matter what landing spot he went in. But I think once you start getting into like, you know, two, 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 three, I think all bets are off. Like I could very, very easily see him depending on landing spots starting to go that early. And I'd be with you. I wouldn't have any Kenny Gainwell either. You know, like I said, I'm probably looking to him in like the middle of the second round at the earliest, more realistically, I'd feel comfortable. Well, you know, I mean, I have him at my 20, so, you know, two, eight. Yeah. Um, that sounds about right to me. Um, I've, only, I've, I've only done one mock so far this year. Um, and like I said a couple episodes ago, you know, I'm not a huge mock guy, you know, because just so much different stuff can happen. But um, I am interested to just kind of see where his ADP starts falling as more of these start coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested in that as well. I haven't done any uh, rookie mocks this year either because we've been focusing a lot on the freshman mocks that we're doing and, or the C2C mocks that we're doing. Uh, we're focusing a lot on like rankings and, you know, getting the site up. So I'm a little bit more behind on the NFL stuff than I would like to be. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, I think that wraps up the show here pretty well for us this week. Um, you know, make sure you're on the lookout for our early week show, uh, the campus life where we're going to get a lot more into the college side of things like we were just talking about. Um, so that's something that we have been really focusing on. So I feel like our campus life show has been, um, you know, very consistent, like I said, with, you know, we have the freshman profiles that we're doing. We're diving into some different offenses. So, you know, definitely stay tuned for that one. Um, if you do listen to the show, uh, you know, please download it. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, it really helps our numbers out. Um, you know, we are, the site that we use doesn't really track listens, so we only can track the downloads. But yeah, we've seen that big spike. So, you know, definitely appreciate that. Definitely uh, keep on downloading there. Uh, you know, definitely be sure to re-rate, rate and review the show as well if you want to be entered into that upcoming drawing that we're going to do for the signed jersey. We are men of our words, so we are going to do that here very soon. We were not quite prepared for this big of a spike, so we don't have a jersey on hand right now, but we are looking into some, right? Yeah, it's um, they're harder to find than you would think, especially like the place that I generally trust to get my jerseys from. It's just, you know, they can't really sign them while they're in college. So then you're hoping that after they're done, they go back and sign a few. So they're really but they're also, you know, so there just really aren't that many out there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but we're, we got some we have some. Guys that we're looking at to get some of these jerseys. We got some of something in the work. So, um, you know, if you do rate and review, definitely send us over a screenshot. Uh, you can either send it to the at campus to Canton uh, Twitter handle 
You can send it to campus2canton at gmail.com. That's our uh, site email address. Uh, you can send it to me. I'm at C2C Decker. My DMs are open. I uh, can send it to Austin. At- I'm at Debbie Dietz. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know if you want me to hop in there. Not yet. At Debbie Dietz. Um, and my DMs, I think, are open. I don't know. I don't get any like sexy singles from my area, so I don't know how open they are, but there I think you can hit them up. <laughs> oh, you hear that? All the sexy singles out there hit up Austin's DMs. Um, but that's gonna do it for us tonight. Um, as always, I'm Colin. I'm Austin. And thanks for joining us. <laughs>